listening to a Drishti Point podcast. Please visit our website for more inspiring interviews on yoga, spirituality, and wellness. Welcome to Drishti Point Radio. I'm your host, Sherry Kajawara. Joining me today is Shadi Mogadime, who recently completed a rigorous seven-year program in advanced Buddhist studies at Diamond Mountain in Arizona. Shadi is the publisher of Awakening Journal, an easing about retreat. She's been business manager and attendant for Lama Sumati Marut and is a senior teacher at Three Jewels Vancouver. Shadi teaches group seminars and supports individuals in their transformation through business and lifestyle coachings with clients in Canada, USA, and Europe. I'm really glad you're here today, Shadi. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. And we're going to be discussing how to navigate the spiritual minefield. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I'm just going to let the listeners know that Shadi and I were having this amazing conversation recently about questions that I know I personally was seeing in some of my students um questioning how to find their way through all the different options available in spirituality today. And I convinced her to come on the show so we can continue the discussion on the air. Shadi, we were talking about um, what an amazing time and place we live in right now, you know, especially for options in spirituality and how that also comes with the challenge of knowing how to discern between what's authentic, what isn't, how do we know when something is a path for us? How do we choose a teacher that we can follow? Mm, Is a teacher even important, given all the amazing access we have to a variety of options in spiritual development through technology, the internet, smartphones, etc.? Now, you were telling me about your personal background in terms of your own search for, shall we say, the truth. Could you share a little bit of that with our listeners? Sure, yeah. It was uh, it was a great discussion that we had. <laughs> I don't know if we can duplicate it, um, but we'll certainly give it a go. Uh, Sherry and I were talking, as she, uh, as she mentioned, about the... Just the incredible array of options that we have today. And I, and I, first of all, want to say that this is a beautiful thing that we're experiencing. It's part of the incredible abundance and um, fortune that we have in this particular time in history. Never before have people had the opportunities, the access to information, the access to incredible, profound, deep teachings from all kinds of traditions, um, including um, those of the East and um, Western traditions, um, shamanic traditions of various Aboriginal peoples, just an incredible, incredible right. cornucopia of uh, information available. And it's, it goes along with the incredible material abundance that we have been experiencing True. as well. So in our lives, the, um, the experience that only a prince, um, not even a princess, a prince, a king would have in terms of material abundance and leisure to be able to pursue deep spiritual um, paths right. and then the access to those paths. So we're very, very fortunate. And, um, you know, I first of all want to say that is a premise to our discussion <laughs> that this is this is a good thing, but it does call on us to be discerning. Right to make choices, to understand what our own needs are, to understand what the goals of a spiritual path are mm-hmm. and how best to uh, approach that and fulfill that. My own path was, um, I guess, uh, ver- varied. 
Uh, I studied many different modalities. I always want to know why. I think I was, was I didn't say mummy was my first question. My, my first word was probably why. why? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, I pursued many um, paths. I think people come to spirituality as a focus in their lives from kind of three directions. They either have a disaster, something extremely painful that happens to them, and they're they're asking why. They're looking for answers. Mm-hmm. They're looking for solutions, um, or they have a piercing uh, experience of joy, mm-hmm. or a piercing experience of of love. Something that goes deeper and deep inside them, and that also leads them to the why, to uh, wanting to understand that experience. Um, right. to wanting to somehow frame it in a way that they can process. Mm-hmm. And then the third way that people come to a spiritual path is um, from reasoning. They look around them, they look at their own experience, and they understand that the human condition is one of suffering. Right. And so they're looking for answers. The last one is the rarest. Most people don't reason to a spiritual path. <laughs> um, and I would say the first one is the most common. And certainly that was my experience. I had a very traumatic experience happen to me as a child. Pre-verbal, I pulled a pot of boiling water over my head Ooh. and ended up in the hospital for many months. And um, I think that that led me from very, very early um, to try and process uh, this incredible physical pain that I experienced. Right. Um, I was very lucky and not having, you know, I'm not very scarred or anything, but I think that the experience stayed with me mm-hmm. and uh, resonated through my whole life. So I studied Reiki and NLP and yoga and shamanism and so until I finally found my home in Buddhism, right, where I've settled and been very fo- studied in a very focused way for the last ten years. So, with this uh, experimenting, shall we say, in terms of trying these different types of modalities on for size, what was it that drew you to Buddhism? It answered the question why. Beautiful. So many of these paths, beautiful teachings on so many different paths beautiful presentations um and uh ideas and 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 even practices right but they sort of mm, didn't have the beginning part of the ruler and they didn't have the end of the ruler they sort of had from 2 inches to 11 <laughs> inches and the 1 inch and the 12 inch were sort of missing, n- missing for me for me or or incomplete somehow or incomplete somehow for right. me or not something i could resonate or relate with the dalai lama says that there's really only two kinds of practitioners those who True. practice their practice and those who don't. I love that. Yeah. I love that. He lines them all up, right? All the isms exactly. and all the itties, the Catholicism, the Hinduism, the Judaism, and then draws a line horizontally through that. Right. Rather it's than so silos, right? Right. And so I will say, you know, that I don't feel that any of the things that I studied were just not my flavor. Right. Not my flavor. Right. Uh, so... I would say that the for me the the Buddhism was the whole ruler. Mm-hmm. Um, I could relate to uh, all of it. Right. Um, I could um, translate it. I could experience it. So I had confidence in following it because it had results for me. And this is one of the 
things that you want to look for in any path is are the results, are the, are the people who are practicing it having results? And are you yourself having results when you start to practice it right. yourself? So with coming from this varied background, but with a specialty, shall we say, in Buddhism, the conversation today, though, is not is not specific to Buddhism. Mm-hmm. It really is using that experiential knowledge in helping anyone assess this, all their options, and you know how do they know that something is right for them, or what should they be looking for as signposts, perhaps? Right. So, are Absolutely. there some resources or sources that we can reference that would help us? Um, Yeah, I was thinking about this and uh, Sherry and I were talking and we thought, you know, even though, as you say, this is not specific to Buddhism, Buddhism is great at giving you very clear instructions on how to do something. Right. And since the um, relationship with the teacher is so important within the Buddhist teachings, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of teachings about how to assess if the teacher is right for you. So we thought, even though this is definitely not just Buddhist related and we'll do our best I think right. we're going to try both of us are going to try really hard not to uh, be Buddha heads and use Buddhist jargon <laughs> which is where we're really we're, comfortable yes <laughs> uh, we will uh, you know try and use general terms because this really does it does work uh, as a uh, I guess a framework for assessing if something is right for you so uh, we're going to use uh, a teaching um, from a particular uh, teacher about 2,000 years ago. Um, it's called the Ornament of the Sutras, but that's not really important. We just wanted to um, just to let you know the source of the basis of what we're using. We're going to try and talk, as right. I said, in non-Buddhist terms. And in the sutra, there's kind of like the top 10 things mm-hmm. to look for, right? Right, so. right, which is perfect for us Westerners, right? We like our top 10 <laughs> lists. Um, and it's not, we're not going to go from 10 to 1. We're no. just, they're, no. they're, they're somewhat even. You're looking for this in the teacher or in a spiritual path, um, you know, hopefully you will find all 10. Um, and then in Buddhism, they say, well, at least find five. And right. then there's the, well, at least find three. So we'll tell you what the at least of three and the, the five and all of the 10 as well. So okay. do you want to just jump into that? Yeah, or? let's jump into the three, the first okay. three. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and this is the, the first three are the sort of minimum right. that you want to look for in a spiritual path or in a particular teacher. And they are, um, number one, that there is a strong sense of ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, even to the point of vowed ethics within the, um, within the teaching or with the, the teacher themselves are holding. So what does ethics mean? Ethics means a decision to stop harming. Right. The decision to help. The decision to grow as fast as you can so you can really be of service to others mm-hmm. and to uh, act in ways that are consistent with uh, uh, protecting uh, others um, as well as helping them. That's really what, what ethical behavior comes down to. Right. So it can be vowed. It can be something that somebody uh, thinks through for themselves. You know, when mm-hmm. you look at all the different kinds of vows and commandments and you know, yamas and niyamas in the yoga tradition, the Ten Commandments in Christianity. Um, all of the traditions have some teaching from the founder of that teaching that says, 
you know, these list of things are the things that we do that really hurt other people. Right. Just stop doing that. So that real no harm. Yeah. Coming no from harm. a place of true kindness. From a, uh, yeah, exactly. And, um, and so the, the, the teaching has within it, um, a, a sense of, of no harm. Right. You know, no harming. Uh, and that the, the teachers in that particular, uh, whatever it is that you're, you're looking at as a mm-hmm. potential path are holding to that no harm. Mm-hmm. Um, are they living an ethical life? Mm-hmm. So that's number one. And I think it's a sine qua non. Mm-hmm. If, if mm-hmm. that's not happening, um, sine qua non is Latin for without this, nothing. Right. So if that's not happening, it's a no go zone right away. Mm-hmm. So one wants to really check them out. Mm-hmm. Be discerning. Mm-hmm. Look at how they are handling um, other people. Look at how they're handling the students, how they are talking about other people, um, how they act. Is it ethical? That's right. the first one. The second one is, are they, uh, do they have awareness and concentration? Hmm. Are they able to focus in a kind of a laser beam way on what it is that they're offering mm-hmm. and do you see them um, as people who have that kind of deep uh, awareness mm-hmm. um, I almost think, like a really focused insight a sense of calm exactly about it. yeah exactly and you know well, what are you going to do you're going to make you know be looking in their window to see if they're <laughs> meditating in the morning no of course not but you're you're going to um to watch how they are how are they with their bodies right. are they fairly calm how are they in terms of their response how aware are they uh, of what they're saying and doing and of what's needed in the moment mm-hmm. and are they you know responsive mm-hmm. um, because they're awake right you know because they're awake and aware so um that would to me would be an important to, one yeah very important one another one that um you want to see as a as a basis a right. foundational uh trait of the teacher or of the of the of the particular past and the last one is that they have a broad and deep understanding mm-hmm. of um, the the way that that particular path sees how we create our world, how we create our lives, how we engage um, with others, how that impacts where we go, that they have uh, wisdom, right. you know, a deep understanding of uh, the nature of things, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, and that they that they're well studied in it. Right. And uh, are thinking about it and engaging with the material um, that they're offering others in terms of how they can uh, engage and, and connect mm-hmm. uh, into the, the depth of, of, of the wisdom that's being offered to them. So not looking necessarily for shame or blame and really looking at where the world comes from mm-hmm. and finding mm-hmm. a, a meaning to, to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And an understanding of how our minds work and how to help their students to um to create the kind of happiness they're looking for right you know Beautiful. so yeah deep understanding so those that. are the top three the mm-hmm. the fen- fundamental foundational mm-hmm. things that we should be looking for fantastic we're back with shadi mukadima who has studied and practiced many different paths over the last 35 years and has practiced buddhism for more than 10 
So we were talking about a um, an ancient scripture, basically, right? A, a document that lists um, the top ten things that we should be looking for in in a teacher when we're looking for a teacher, and we're or a path or a path, and we're suggesting that this could be a good guideline for what uh, some people might want to check out on on any path, whether mm-hmm. you know whatever that happens to be for yourself. Mm, just to help us figure out our priorities when we're com- committing to a spiritual practice. So before the break, we covered uh, three, and I was thinking, you know, that's in the Buddhist teachings. That's the 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 qualities that you talked about: the ethics, the concentration, this sort of view of the world is what's often called in Buddhist training as the extraordinary trainings, the three extraordinary trainings. Mm-hmm. So it comes up a lot it does. in a variety of contexts. Mm-hmm. Mm. Also, from what I've learned from Geshe Michael Roach's teachings, the three jewels, of course, is was started um, out by him in New York and where the where the Vancouver um, branch I guess you could say uh, he's been teaching a lot on the Vinaya which explains the monastic vows and the three foundational vows are also parallel to this so it's interesting we're not talking about monastic vows here but there seems to be this I mean they must be really important if they keep coming up time and time again mm in that context. So why don't we continue with a little bit? I'm not sure if we're going to get through the whole list in our time today, but let's see if we can cover a few more points on that. Well, we can always do what the Buddhists call a horse race. Okay. At the end. <laughs> just rattle you them go, off. Yeah, just rattle them off. You go to a teaching with the Dalai Lama, and he's going very nicely and sweetly through the text. And then the last two hours, he's like, okay, horse race. Right. <laughs> he just finishes it off. It's quite fun. At least we're paying homage to our teachers. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> and right. we're staying true to the technique. Exactly. Exactly. So we're, as you said, we're going through this. Maybe I'll try and, and go through them a little bit more quickly and then we can come back if we think there's points that we want to emphasize again. So the next quality to look for in a modality that you might be looking at if you're looking at ways to answer the questions around your own experiences, if you're looking for a way to process um, your own emotions um, and to help others process too, the things that you might look for. One is that the teacher that you're going to um, has qualities in a, uh, greater than your own. Um, you want to know, go to somebody who uh, knows more about it than you do. So this kind of requires a couple of things. One, it requires, and this I think is can be challenging for Westerners. It was certainly, I, I have to say, maybe uh, it was just very challenging um, for me as uh, as uh, as my ex once said, "No one's the boss of shuddies." <laughs> <laughs> so this does uh, require that you let somebody else be the boss of you, if you will. You That's have a tough to. One. It's a tough one for Westerners. So you have to concede that somebody knows more than you do right because why else would you go to them actually um and but it's a it's a funny tricky part of our i guess our attitude our mindset the sort of western egalitarianism may have translated to um you know we're all equal and therefore nobody is better or nobody knows more than anybody else does but it's actually not true and if you want to learn something you have to acknowledge you have to seek someone who knows more than you do which 
you know, which requires that you, you know, open to that fact. Mm-hmm. But it's just like learning anything. If you want to learn how to play the guitar, you're going to go to somebody who knows how to play the guitar better than you do. Right. It's the same. And you want to use that kind of practical mentality mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, um, they should have not only uh, greater knowledge, they should um, be really clear on what it is that, that you should be taking up um, as far as uh, practices and things that you uh, need to be doing in order to actually walk the path that they are uh, presenting to you. And they should let you know what you need to give up. Right. What uh, isn't serving you? What isn't serving your growth, uh, your development, the process that you're trying to put yourself through? And they must have some kind of capacity for, um, for, for the kind of, if it's a psychological, um, modality, then they must have a capacity for that. If it's a, um, spiritual modality, then they need to have a capacity, an inward, um, in, in, in almost an inner, uh, ability to relate to the material from, from that kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. I, 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 that's a quality right. that I think they need to bring, bring to it. And they must be grading, making great efforts themselves to really engage with the material mm-hmm. and have the uh, kinds of focus where it's uh, important to them. They are trying to work with it. They're trying to get to a profound experience of it so that they can teach you from right. their own experience and they can help you. They can walk ahead of you and show you how to, to, to get there right. themselves. So that kind of the, these two qualities that they have, um, they have effort as it's called and that they're rich in, um, in the, the textual knowledge, uh, of the particular modality kind of go together. So they know the material and they're deeply engaged with it so that they're having the kinds of experiences that they can um, then share with you and uh, help you actually walk the path as well. Right. All three of those uh, sound logical. You know, mm-hmm. we're coming from that third way of anal- analyzing a uh, spiritual path, right? In right. terms of like, are you coming to it because of a tragedy? Or are, you, are you coming through it uh, to it through uh, a very exceptionally beautiful experience or are you coming through a more logical pragmatic how do I figure this out Mm -hmm. so it seems really practical in that aspect I want to go back to the exceeding qualities what we were talking about in terms of being able to understand that whatever we want to learn we need someone who knows it better than we do then that getting out of our own way I think is particularly hard in the western society because we're just not trained we're in fact we're encouraged to be independent thinkers to be able to figure things out on our own and there is this independence this separation of me from everyone else that seems to be encouraged and that doesn't sound like what this is i would agree with you and and so you got to kind of fight the power on that a little bit right. and i think one of the the ways to do that is to get, as my teacher says, to get very agnostic, (laughs) to recognize the limitations of what it is that you know, and to recognize that in a way that helps you not as, 
uh, as something that's demeaning mm-hmm. to you, mm-hmm. but that helps you open up to, uh, to learning. And, you know, one of the other aspects of this for, um, for Westerners, I think in the age that we are living is, is that we often mistake information for knowledge. Right. And those are two very, very, very different, different, very different things. Uh, I don't know if you want to sort of jump in and say something about that. Um, well, only that I have observed that we're so uh, inundated with information that it can appear that we know a lot of things. But you had mentioned it earlier with the other point about having a rich, deep knowledge of what it is that they're they're teaching or they're talking about. There is a difference between having the information and having experiential knowledge, lived knowledge of mm. having practiced it, having walked the walk so to speak. Right. I think a lot of us are good at talking the talk, but perhaps not so much the, the latter. Yes. And to be able to speak from the place of your own experience of the material and your experience of it in your, in your own life. We, you mentioned in the introduction that we have this wonderful access to all of these right. incredible tools. Um, and they're great for, for information. Mm-hmm. But knowledge, I think, has to come through um, a lived experience with uh, a teacher, a lived experience with someone, an engagement with them um, that takes the material from information into knowledge and gives you the ability to um, increase your knowledge of it yourself right. as, as you're doing it. So um, again, wonderful to have all these tools, great for gathering information, but if you want to translate that into knowing, mm-hmm. which is, you know, sort of the, the root of knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you want to translate that into knowing, then I think you have to, um, be with a, with a, with a teacher or with a, with a community where, uh, you are joined in working with the material and, uh, bringing it into your lives and into your own experience. It reminds me of what Chogun Trumpa wrote so eloquently about in his book on spiritual materialism, mm-hmm. where because of the abundance of information available to us, we can just become consumers of that. Oh, absolutely. It just becomes another experience um, is one of the, you know, is a, is a form of entertainment now. Right. And so um, it's become just something else that we purchase and consume. Uh, and consume and, you know, sort of just as you would consume a meal, um, you know, it nourishes you for a, a period of time. And then you say, well, what's next? Or, you know, three hours later, you're getting feeling a little, you know, peckish and, uh, you know, I want another meal here. Right. Um, and if that's the way you're approaching your path, um, you know, I recently came uh, across a, a, an app that was being offered, um, a meditation app that was being offered. And their slogan is, um, and I'm not going to name any names. I'll just talk about it in general. Their slogan was, you get a different meditation every day for the rest of your life. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is spiritual materialism it is. at its it's best, right. you know, it's just, um, I thought, wow, that's such a, uh, consumer and disposable, a disposable approach of, to yes. meditation. And, um, it's about as deep as a puddle, you know, <laughs> it's, um, I thought it was a little alarming and right. I think this is one of the things that can happen and is happening with the incredible uh, array of um, of teachings that is available to us, and it's part of your discernment as a 
person trying to walk a path is to decide, is to figure out what the motivation is behind what you're being offered. Right. Is the, is the, is the, 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 the material, is the teacher, um, have the kind of, uh, qualities that we've been talking about here and their motivation really is to help you? Or is their motivation mostly to, um, you know, gain fame or material, um, gain in some way? And I'm not saying that, that people shouldn't, um, you know, be supporting, be able to support themselves through teachings, right. uh, and things like that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you, sh- if it's, uh, there's a charge for you, you, it doesn't, it means it's somehow invalid. I'm just saying to try and discern what the, real motivation is behind the offering that you are uh, making an assessment about because one of the other traits, we'll just skip to it and we'll Mm -hmm. come back to the ones in between. One of the other traits is that the the person is motivated by love Um, and I would say compassion and the the Buddhist definition of those terms is um, love is wanting the person to, wanting the other to have everything that they need mm-hmm. uh, and want. And then the um, compassion, uh, that's defined as wanting to protect the person from pain. So the teacher, the modality, um, the offering has that as its motivation. Mm-hmm. The wanting to, uh, to stop your, your pain right. or protect you from further pain and, and the wanting you to have what you need and want. Everything you need. Um, yeah. And and so that's that's the motivation um and it's important to look for that in your teachers and in your um and in the teachings that you're you're pursuing and you know i have to say as a teacher myself that you know i don't always have pure and perfect motivation <laughs> um and so i'm not asking us to be harsh judges um because you know they are people doing their best right but if that's at the back of it, um, if that's at the foundation of what they're doing, that sense of compassion, that sense of love, then I think um, that that covers a lot of ground. Beautiful. Yeah. We've been talking, Shadi Mokadimi and I have been talking about the different ways that someone could navigate the spiritual minefield. And we've been referencing an ancient Buddhist text called the Ornament of Sutras, just as a frame of reference. We've covered most of the points, Shadi, but perhaps you can enlighten us on the last few or two or however many we have <laughs> left. I've lost count. I've lost count a bit too myself. I think we've covered most of it except okay. for for the two. And then maybe I'll just do a quick run through the yeah, whole list just to kind of summarize things. So the two I think we haven't covered, you know, we've talked about um, the teacher or the, or the, or the modality or the path that you're looking at um, has, uh, or is ethical that there's a sense of uh, no harm and that there's a deep focus and concentration and awareness that the teacher has and they have wisdom. They understand how things work and their qualities overall as a teacher or the path, the qualities of the path themselves uh, itself is also um, exceeds your own so that you are in fact surrendering to the idea that there's, there's, there's something there for you to learn and you're opening yourself mm-hmm. to that. The uh, motivation of the teacher and the, and the, and the path is love and compassion mm-hmm. uh, wanting to protect um, others from, from, 
pain and, and also to that they get everything that they need and that the, the, the teachers of the path have really engaged with the material in a deep way, had personal experiences and realizations from that mm-hmm. uh, engagement and understanding and that they are able to um, present those. So being a master at teaching, being right. good at teaching has got to be part of it. I can remember professors at university who were, I knew, incredibly wise and and brilliant, mm-hmm. but they somehow it couldn't go from their synapses to my synapses, um, and so it's important that that the teachers in the and the and the uh, instructors in the path ha- know how to teach that they 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 understand um, they can look at their students um, and and pace the intensity and the knowledge um, appropriately um, that they um, are they they never tire because right. uh, sometimes you have to explain something to somebody over <laughs> and over and over and over again and that they never kind of get a distaste or um, a contempt for the students um, because of the necessity of these, you know, uh, you know, numerous explanations right. and they're very forgiving of the students. So, um, they, they're able to meet the student where they are, mm. but at the same time, they have this vision of where the student can go. And that's very, very important mm-hmm. that they see in the student, the, uh, possibility, the potential right. for full mastership in the student themselves and for their students to actually pass them mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. to to go beyond them um that uh, they have that vision for their their students is incredibly important and can be a a, a a kind of a foundation to the whole way that they relate to their students and their and, and allow their students to relate to them right so you know that's kind of the whole of it mm-hmm. um i hope that that gives people a, a way to um a kind of a ch- a list a checklist, a checklist mm-hmm. to refer to um you may not find that the path that you're looking has all 10 right but i think the the three uh basic um ethics and concentration and wisdom were there and i think if you're going to expand the list um from that to maybe five mm-hmm. that i would add um the motivation of compassion and love right. um, as um, absolutely necessary and um, an ability to teach mm-hmm. um, because somebody can have great knowledge and just not be able to convey it. Mm-hmm. So that would probably do my list of five. Um, of course, you want all 10 if you can, but right. um, those are kind of the minimums. And just to repeat again, that love and compassion, as we talk about it, sometimes they flow together as one thing in mm-hmm. our Western vocabulary, but love defined as wanting to really fulfill or fill the student's needs Mm -hmm. and compassion being to teach them something that will remove their suffering Mm -hmm. that will take them out of whatever pain they may be experiencing absolutely absolutely which is not normally especially just you know post valentine's day is not normally the way we talk about uh love but is in fact um you know it's all uh, outward. It's mm-hmm. the giving mm-hmm. in all of that. In those definitions, there's no what can I get right. from this. And um, I think that's a very important thing for a teacher. And I and I say this from the point of view of, of both being a student myself, right. as well as, um, you know, for of great teachers, of mm-hmm. great teachers, as well as being um, a sometimes uh, teacher. Uh, uh, and I think that um, the 
it's a dangerous business to get into. <laughs> um, it's uh, from both sides. Right. Um, one does have to be very concerning. But for the teachers out there, uh, it's really, really important that you don't use your students, your community to feed you. Right. Um, it's about giving, mm-hmm. not about taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and to look to your students to support you or to feed you, uh, whether it's in on a emotional level or psychological level, um, just has the re- the relationship going, um, you know, backwards. backwards, right? Absolutely backwards. So that's where the compassion and love piece come in again. Right. Um, so it's crucial. crucial, absolutely crucial. Great. Yeah. Did you have any final advices for our listeners or does that pretty much cover it? Um, I would say my final piece of advice is to, um, to walk some kind of path to yes. bring meaning to your life and to your, um, you know, meaning and purpose. Right. Um, by, uh, w- you know, working with this kind, these kinds of material. Mm-hmm. We are, I also wanted to talk about, just briefly, just to let our listeners know about Doug Wienhoff's visit. He was the interviewee last month talking about uh, shamatha, but he's coming into Vancouver not only to lead a shamatha retreat in uh, Squamish, but next Thursday on March the 14th in the evening he'll be at Banyan Books right? Yes and we're all very excited and looking forward to his presentation on his book White Lama which was the story of one of the first westerners to travel in uh, Tibet uh, become a teacher uh, study Buddhism at great depth and there's going to be some very rare uh, rarely seen photography from that period that Doug will be showing as part of his presentation presentation uh, at Banyan Books. And that's a free talk? Yes. And that starts at 6.30, I think. 6.30. Oh, that's a good question. Seven. Anyways, check our website at Three Jewels, www.3jewelsvancouver. No, 3jewelsvancouver.com. Yes. And also Banyan has it listed in their events. So that's going to be a wonderful talk on the 14th. Uh, please visit our website at www.drishtipoint.ca for more details of the Goddess Day event and for a mini podcast series on the Divine Feminine. Also, more information at that site. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Drishti Point. We dedicate our efforts to the health and happiness of our listeners and for the health and happiness of all living beings.